0: Welcome and thank you for giving me the privilege of unpacking the Word of God for you this morning. Uh, I will be team preaching uh, the Seven Churches series with a bunch of amazing young pastors from our church. And I know you're going to enjoy every single one of them. So please follow us throughout this uh, series. Now, Even though these seven letters that we're going to be talking about, uh, the seven letters to the the church in Revelations, they are written to ancient churches, but the message that they bring, I think, are still very relevant to all of us today in the 21st century. How many of you know that the Bible is the living Word of God? It is not dead, but it is alive. And every time you read the Word of God, something happens inside of our hearts. And, And this morning, I'm going to begin by, reading for you Revelations chapter 1, the entire chapter, and then introduce the series to you, and then this morning I'll be only covering the church in Ephesus, but I'm going to first now read for you Revelations chapter 1, so if you have your Bibles, please follow along with me as I read for you the entire chapter, such a beautiful book, and so allow me to read it for you now, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place, and he make it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who who hear it and take it to heart, what is written in it, because the time is near." John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth." To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made him to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples on earth will moan because of him. And so shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. And this is the vision that John saw. I, John, your brother and companion in the sufferings and kingdom and patience and endurance that is ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice saying, um, like a trumpet, which says, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Yeah. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white as wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet was like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of a rushing waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was it's a sharp, double-aged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in all of his brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead." Then he placed his hand on me and said, Do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Lord, I pray this morning that you will come and you will speak to us and you allow your word to become a word in season. Challenge us as individuals and as as a church corporately to be the church that you want us to be. So we commit this time now to you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, do you realize, brothers and sisters, that when I read that chapter one for you, every single one of us are already blessed this morning. Take a look at what verse 3 says. It says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written to it, because the time is near. Look carefully. It says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud. And that's me, right? I read it aloud for you. And blessed are those who hear it. That's you, because you've been hearing it. And take to heart what is written in it, and that's all of us, because all of us are going to take to heart what we have read and heard this morning. So can I say, we are all blessed already, now we can all go home. So don't switch off your TV yet, but watch this, because there's so much more that we, we want to unpack. Do you know that you will never know Jesus Christ in all of his fullness without reading the book of Revelations? You know, we all know that Jesus is our prophet, he is our priest, and he is our king. But you know, you will never really know his kingship, because until you read the book of Revelations, because his kingship is only fully established when he returns in Revelation as the king of kings and the Lord of kings. Of now, I know the focus of our pulpit series this round is not on the entire book of Revelations, but only on the seven letters that are recorded in Revelations 2 and, and 3. But I want to give you a background to all this. Now, Revelations chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, informs us that the Apostle John was on the Isles of Patmos. Now, where is Patmos? Patmos was a small rocky island in the Aegean Sea. It was about 50 miles off today's modern turkey so if you've ever been on a a, a trip to the seven churches you will know they will take you to the house of Patmos where you can actually visit where the apostle john was And, and Patmos at that time was used very much like australia years ago when prisoners were banished there so that they would not influence the rest of society and the Bible tells us that John the Apostle was banished to the house of Patmos physically because of his faith. See, so here's a scenario. Number one, his body was physically in Patmos. We all know that. But number two, his mind was in the Scriptures How do I know this? Because out of the 404 verses in the book of Revelations, there are about 400 Old Testament references. And 24 out of 69 Old Testament books are actually quoted in the book of Revelations. That's an amazing amount of scripture. So his body is in Patmos, but his mind is in the scriptures. Okay, And here's the third thing. But where is his heart? I think the heart of the Apostle John was 150 miles away in the churches that he was overseeing. Now... I can understand how the Apostle John felt, you know, he's physically in Patmos, his mind is in the Word of God, but his heart is actually with the churches that he oversees. I can understand this because I travel a lot uh, before the lockdown, that is, before the pandemic started. I was traveling, and when I travel and I'm miles away in in some other nation, but my heart is always here in FCC, where, where my church is, you know, and this is a good point for you to go to your comments and say amen. You know, his body is in Patmos, his mind is in the scripture, but his heart is with his churches. The, big, the next question is this, where was his spirit? And the Bible actually informs us his spirit was in the spirit of God on the Lord's day. Now, some of us may have this experience before where it is not a dream. You are, you are awake, but you are lost in a God-given vision. And here in Revelations, John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He was caught up in the Spirit and, he, and on the Lord's day. Now, when you, when you see this phrase, the Lord's day, it does not necessarily mean a Sunday, but I think it is in reference to the day of the Lord, or in other words, the end times. So what is happening is while he was physically in Patmos and his mind was in the Scripture, his heart was filled with his churches, but his spirit that morning was caught up with the Lord. And then God took him, as it were, into the end times. And he was given a vision of what it will be like in the end. He was given a revelation that was so intense, it literally would blow his mind. But he was told to write down what he saw. And the book of Revelation is a result of everything that the Lord revealed to the Apostle John in that vision. Now, chapter 2 and chapter 3, which will be our focus for the next seven weeks, recorded seven short letters to seven specific churches at that time. I want you to notice that God would begin, and he talked about the end times, he would begin by dealing with his church before he deals with the world. Okay, he begins with his own people. And I think this is in line with what the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. Listen to this. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who disobey the gospel of God? So God will begin by dealing with his own people. Now, all these seven churches that that we are looking at, they are all located in today's modern Turkey. And I think they were most likely churches that the Apostle John was visiting and overseeing. Now, I'm going to show you now a map of of ancient Asia at that time. And then I notice where the location of these churches are. You'll notice the order in which the letters were addressed to, right? It starts with Ephesus, then Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. So when you look at the order, it actually goes along a circular route so that a messenger can take this scroll and take this message and go from church to church and read it out to the people. That's how it is being transmitted during those days. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that even though those were letters written to these seven churches a long time ago, the message that they carry are still relevant to all of us today. And as we study these seven letters over the next seven weeks, we need to be asking ourselves as we study, number one, individually, is it I? Is it me? How is this letter reflecting my life? And then secondly, we will be asking corporately, which one is FCC. Which one is our church? What, what, what are we like as a church corporately? Okay, and we allow these letters to become a mirror that will reflect us and reflect where we are at this time. So I'm going to turn you now to the Revelation chapter 2. We're going to read verse 1 to 7, which is the first letter uh, to the church in Ephesus, and we're going to focus on this today. Uh, I hope you are with me so far. Okay, and you are, if you are, just say amen. And we are going to get ready now to go into the book, uh, to the church in Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2 from verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the, the the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but they are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first, or you have forsaken your first love. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from his place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever have ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Hallelujah. This first letter was written to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus at that time was one of the great cities of the ancient world. It was like the capital city of ancient Asia at that time. It was a major seaport, somewhat like Hong Kong or somewhat like Singapore today, where ships have to pass through in order to get to the rest of Asia. And as a result, it became a city of great wealth and cultural heritage. And the city of Ephesus was home also to one of the seven wonders of the world, which is the pagan temple of Artemis or Diana. And this is a cult at that time that is very erotic, very sensual in orientation. The devotees actually worship a statue of an idol. Uh, I'll show you a picture of that. It is covered with, with breasts. At, at first, I, when I first looked at it, I thought that was, that was what it is. Then I went to Turkey, and I, when I visited the seven churches, I discovered that actually there were bull testicles. They were testicles of bulls that they used for sacrifice, and that became a diner the deity that they worship. Now, if you recall, the Apostle Paul actually had to deal with this deity, this false god, goddess of Dinah, in the book of Acts chapter 19. And because the Apostle Paul began to deal with that, it actually resulted in a huge riot. Okay, And because it was a stronghold, it was a strong man in the city of Ephesus. But yet it was a city, even though it's so filled with paganism, it was a city with a very rich spiritual heritage. The church in Ephesus was actually started by the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 19. But prior to Paul's coming, Apollos was already there already preaching in that city. Paul, actually, after he started the church, he even spent two years ministering in this church using the first full-time Bible school model, if I could put it that way. Uh, Because in Acts chapter 19, verse 9 to verse 10, take a look at this verse. It says, this is Paul he took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And this went on for two years. So for a whole two years, they were having theological discussions, okay, about who God is, etc. so that all the Jews and the Greeks who live in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And because of what Paul did in the church of Ephesus, we were told after two years, the Jews, the Greeks who live in that province, they actually heard the word of the Lord. It's a church with an amazing heritage. And later, Paul then sent Timothy, his uh, spiritual son, to take over this church. So this church have a huge heritage in the Lord. And the church in Ephesus, do you realize, was a church that is pastored by tremendous uh, spiritual luminaries. I mean, people like the Apostle Paul, Apollos, Priscilla, Aquila, Timothy, and then the Apostle John. They were all in this church. And now, our Lord Jesus himself writes a personal letter to them. And here's what the letter says. Revelation 2, verse 1 begins like that. To the angel of the church in Ephesus. The word angel in the Greek can also be translated as messenger. And, and this messenger of the church in Ephesus could refer either to a heavenly messenger or earthly messenger. If you think of it as a, as a heavenly messenger, then it would be referring to an angelic being that oversees the church. And I'm not surprised if that's the case too, because there could be angels that is with us, that's sign to us as a church. But I like to see it more as an earthly messenger. So this letter is then addressed to the earthly messenger. In this case, we will call it the pastor or the chief elder. So that it can then be transmitted to the rest of the body. So, Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, tells us this that the seven stars, the seven messengers, they are held in his right hand. Okay, then Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, explains to us that the seven stars are the messengers or the angels of the church. So, Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 then then says, These are the words of him who holds these seven messengers, these seven stars in his right hand. You know what? This is so encouraging to me because it tells me that the ministers or the leaders or the pastors, the leaders of the church, they are held in God's right hand. Now, every one of us, we are held in God's right hand. And that word held in the, in the, in the Greek means to be completely surrounded until none can get out. If, I tell you this, if you are, you are a leader in the church, you are someone who serves in the church, God holds you in His right hand. God surrounds you until none can get out and if you are held in his right hand. The right hand is a place of God's power, of mercy, of blessing. The right hand of God's power, mercy, and blessing, you are held in that. Whereas the left hand often speaks of judgment and, and curses. That's why the sheep all go to the right and the goats go to the left, you see. And I'm so glad, brothers and sisters, that the leadership of the church is held in God's right hand. The right hand of the one who walks amongst the seven golden lampstands. And Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, tells us the seven lampstands refers to the seven churches. And notice here that the churches are called lampstands. In other words, they are lamp bearers, they are light bearers. So they are not the source of light themselves. The church is not the source of light ourselves, but we hold the light who is Jesus Christ. So if the church upheld Christ, we will be the source of light to this world. And the first thing the Lord Jesus wanted to impress upon the church in Ephesus was that He is the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. You know, and that's an important metaphor, that God is walking amongst the seven golden lampstands, which means this, do you know that Jesus walked among us every weekend, every Sunday, every time we gather, He walks amongst us, you see, and He knows what is going on. And because he's walking among us, he could see everything. He knows everything. And that's why he say in verse 2, I know your work. He knows. Our God knows what is going on firsthand. The question is this. What did the eyes of our Lord saw when he looked at the church in Ephesus? When he walked amongst them, what did he see? I want to outline for you. Firstly, three commendations that he gave to the church in Ephesus. The first is this, he commended them for their enthusiasm. He said, I know, I know your good deeds, I know your hard work. See, God knows about their toil and their labor in the Lord. And this picture that you should get here, the word picture, is one who labors unto extreme weariness to a point of exhaustion. They were working so hard. They were working uh, to extreme weariness, to a point of exhaustion. And the Lord commended them for that. In other words, the Christians in the church of Ephesus at that time, they were hard, committed workers. They were not passive Christians. They were active Christians. They took their faith seriously. They put their faith to work. So they were the people that were witnessing. They were serving. They were ministering to those in need. And the Lord commended them for this. You know, Jesus also tell us as his church in John chapter 9, verse 4, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming where no one can work. So brothers and sisters of FCC, can I challenge you with this? Are you still enthusiastically serving the Lord? Even though we are in a season of lockdown, Uh, Are you looking for ways in which we can continue to serve the agendas of the kingdom? You know, remember how we started this year in 2020 in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Be not lacking in zeal. Whatever the circumstance may be, we must not be lacking in zeal. But we will keep our spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And the Lord Jesus commended them for their enthusiasm. Secondly, He commended them for their endurance. Look at Revelations 2, verse 3 you have persevered and endured hardship for my name and have not gone weary. They paid a price to do what they do. They were not quitters, but they were faithful, determined disciples. This is not a case of biting our tongue and then enduring reluctantly. But as the Greek word suggests here, it is enduring with joy. You know, how often it is when we who serve, we just want the whole world to know how terrible it is and how terrific we are, you know. But actually, our demeanor and our attitude sometimes is, is like enduring with, with reluctance rather than what the church in Ephesus was doing, enduring with joy. And the Lord wants us to serve out of the joy that we can have in Him. And then the joy of the Lord shall become our strength. He don't want us to serve with our faces long like papayas and all of us look like we got baptized in lemon juice and we're just enduring reluctantly. No, no, no. I think he's affirming them for the fact that they were enduring with joy. They do it not because they have to. They do it because they want to. And they pay a price for that. In their pagan city, the Christians were ostracized. They were rejected. Some of them were not even allowed to buy at certain shops because of their faith, but yet they were enduring with joy and the Lord commended them for that. Their enthusiasm, their endurance, and thirdly, the Lord affirmed them for their enlightenment. And this is probably, I believe, their their, their area of greatest strength. Their faith was well-defined and well-defended. They have a strong theological foundation, for what, whatever they were doing. They knew what they believed in and they were theologically sound and solid. So the, the church in Ephesus was not one of those that just believed every itinerant preacher that comes along. They don't just subscribe to every, every, every internet preacher you know, that our browsers can take us to. But they check every teaching against the word of God. And I believe one of the reasons why they are so strong in this area is precisely because it is rooted in some of the last words that their founder, the Apostle Paul, gave to the elders of the church before he was martyred. You know, one of the last meetings that the elders of the church in Ephesus had with the Apostle Paul was recorded for us in Acts chapter 20. Now, you notice what the Apostle Paul gave to them as his last words. Listen to this, Acts chapter 20 verse 28. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. And now I commit you to God and to the word of His grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. What powerful words the Apostle Paul left with the elders of the church in Ephesus. And they held on to that. They held on to the words of the Apostle Paul and they kept the purity of their faith according to the word of His grace. And as a result, they were always on God against heresy and they hated evil revelations 2 verse 2 Jesus said to them you cannot tolerate evil men they rejected heresy and false doctrines ferociously you know and the Lord said you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and found them false i pray and i wish that fcc will always be a church that will uphold the integrity of the word of God, that we will be building upon a strong theological foundation. The apostles are those who lay doctrinal foundation and the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And here, Jesus is referring specifically to the heresy of the Nicolaitans during that time. The Nicolaitans was a heretical sect that was led by a man called Nicholas. And Nicholas exalted himself to be equal uh, with the apostles. And he taught the liberty. He gave people liberty to practice idolatry and immorality. And God hated that. And the, the church in Ephesus defended themselves against this. And Jesus commended the church in Ephesus for maintaining the purity of their faith. They hated what God hated. So in verse 6, it says, you hated the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Brothers and sisters, my question to all of us is, are you and I doing the same? Do we hate what God hates? Or do we compromise, get immune to some of the things that goes on on social media, on TV, on, uh, around, that happens around us, and soon after a while, we get hardened in our conscience until we tolerate what God hates. And then I think we will lose the plot. And the Lord Jesus commended the church in Ephesus, and I think that can be a warning for all of us, that we will always maintain the purity of our faith. So the three commendations he gave to the church in Ephesus, number one, enthusiasm, endurance, and then thirdly, enlightenment. But in their triumph. Despite all these wonderful things that was going on in the church, the blazing eyes of the Lord Jesus actually saw a flaw in the church. And this is the flaw that I want to point out for all of us. In verse 4, the Lord Jesus with his blazing eyes said this, saw this, yet I have something against you. Despite the fact that you are enthusiastically serving, despite the fact that you make sacrifices and you, make, and you endure for the sake of the faith, despite the fact that you are enlightened and you are theologically sound, I have one thing against you. You have forsaken your first love. See, by the time Revelations was written, the church in Ephesus has been established for 40 years. In other words, there will be second or third generation Christians already in Ephesus. And it would have been so easy for them to lose their first love. Now you may ask, Pastor, what what is this first love? I think if I can put it simply, it will be this. I think it is the love we experience when we first came to Christ. That is our first love, the love we experienced when we first came to Christ. It is the love that comes when our eyes were first opened to see how undeserving we are to be rescued by this awesome God. Terrible sinners that we are, and yet God chose to save us. And when we, when the first time we recognized this, the first time we saw this, the love that came, that we experienced at that moment, the love of God that, that invaded our hearts at that point, that, that is irreplaceable. That's the first love. It's that incredible discovery that even though when I'm still shaking my feet in the face of God, He came and He died for me. In that while I'm still sinners, God chose to die for us. It's that sense of gratitude, that sense of gratefulness that, can complete, that has completely changed our life. I think that first love is that which caused full-grown men to break down and cry like a baby when they share their testimony of how they came to the Lord Jesus. I'm sure you've seen all this and you've experienced this. It's like what the hymnist wrote. I love this hymn. And by the way, this is one of the favorite hymns of Ravi Zachariah, who, is, uh, who just uh, went to be with the Lord. And today, I think he's experiencing this very, what the words of this hymn says. Listen to this hymn. He's the, the hymnist wrote, Heaven above is softer blue. Earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue that Christless eyes have never seen. Birds with gladder songs overflow. Flowers with deeper beauty shine. Since I know, as now I know. I am His and He is mine. It is that moment when we first come to know who God is and what He has done for us on the cross. And all of a sudden, when that happens, the sky appears greener, the flowers appear more beautiful, the air seems more fresh, something changed because our eyes are now open to see Christ. You know, I think about all the new converts uh, that we have when I was church planting. There are many of them who come, young people just came to the Lord and they were so excited about their faith. First time they ever heard about Jesus. And every day after they come to Christ and experience it, you know, every day they will show up for discipling. And even though many of them were persecuted by their parents for wanting to to become Christian, they kept pursuing God. Some of them were physically actually beaten by their parents. Some were locked up at home. Others were threatened, but they continue to keep their first love. Uh, I can think of it in terms of like a marriage relationship, you know. It is like newlyweds. When we first just got married, we are still lovey-dovey. But the sad thing is that often after a while, we begin to lose that first love. And all of a sudden, the honeymoon period is over. Then out goes the romantic lover and in step that grouchy provider. And how sad that is. You know, life goes on, but we actually lose that first love and that's why, you know, there's a there's a funny saying that goes like this. There are three hours in life. At age twenty-five is romance, age forty-five, remuneration, age fifty-five, rheumatism. You know, this is the three hours of life. You think about it, you know? When we first got married, it's so beautiful in the past. You know, the husband will hold the door for her. Now they slam doors together. They used to walk side by side, hand in hand. But now they walk 10 feet apart. I've seen old couples do that all the time. You know, usually it's the man walking 10 feet ahead and then the woman is trying to catch up behind. You know, they used to hold hands and walk. Now they fold hands and fight. You know, in, in the past, they used to call each other terms of endearment like honey, darling, dear. Now it's oi, oi, oi. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because it's the cooling off in that relationship. It is tragic. Indeed, to lose our first love. Now, you take that idea and you put it into the context of our relationship with God. Sadly, I have to say, there are thousands of Christians who sit in their church pews week after week. And we do religious stuff, you know, like singing our hymns, reciting the Apostles' Creed, taking Holy Communion, perhaps even doing some community services along the way. But there is really no growth in our personal relationship with God. There isn't this inner connection with God. And then after a while, there's this huge disconnect that comes in. There's a disconnect between our heart and our hands. On the outside, we're still doing everything. We're still serving. We're still doing. We're still doing stuff. But the heart is not connected anymore. And then you know, something has gone missing. And after a while, there's no longer that sense of gratitude or gratefulness towards God. That relational connection with Jesus in worship after a while gets lost. Why? I think it's because like what Jesus said to the church in Ephesus, we have left our first love. And we begin to lose that sense of wonder for what Jesus has done for us on the cross. I remember when I became a Christian and I'm walking intimately with the Lord. I used to sing this song and tears will flow. Remember that song? Amazing love, how can it be that my king would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true, and it's my joy to honor you in all I do, I honor you, and tears will flow. You know, and in the church, like the church in Ephesus, we could we could be busy laboring toiling enthusiastically, and we can be enduring hardship, making sacrifices, we can be pure in doctrine, holy in lifestyle, but we could pass that honeymoon stage with God when we are no longer intensely in love with Jesus. We no longer feel it here, no longer feel it fervently in love with Jesus. And here's the tragedy. Once we stop loving Jesus, the next thing that happened is is that we will stop loving one another. We love only because He first loved us. And once we lose that connection with our Lord Jesus, and we no longer love Jesus, then we will stop, after a while, we stop loving one another. And then when we stop loving one another, very soon we will stop loving our neighbours. We love only because He first loved us. And the first sign of someone losing their first love is when we start losing the sense of joy and wonder in our Christian life. And then going to church, after a while, going to connect groups, it just becomes a routine. Even the worship and the sermon can become dull and boring. Ministry and service then becomes a dread, it becomes a chore. And we do it no longer because we want to, but because we have to. And the next thing you know, our passion for people starts to dwindle. You know why? Because when we stop loving God, we will lose the ability to love others. We love only because He first loved us. And we can only love because we know we are loved by God. And the next thing is we, we will start getting critical. And once that connection is lost, we start getting critical and contentious about everything. You know, we stop being compassionate. We become more complaining. We start to get divisive. You know, we, we stop thinking about God. We stop thinking about others. And very soon, the focus begins to shift onto ourselves. And self-centeredness will then take over. But you know where the root problem is? The root problem is not what's going on around us. It's not what's going on in the church. The root problem is we stop loving Jesus. We have left our first love. And after a while, labor, ministry, service will slowly lose its meaning. And that's the flaw in the church in Ephesus. And the question is this, how do we put it right? What's the remedy? And our Lord Jesus, apart from giving, him, uh, giving them the correction, he also gave them, here's, here's, the, here's what you need to do. He gave them the remedy. So here are three things that the Lord Jesus told them they must do. And I think we need to take this to heart as well. Here are the three things we must do. If you, if you know in your heart that you're already beginning to find that disconnect between your hands and your heart, I will challenge you, Here's a remedy. Number one, remember or recall. To recapture our first love, it is sometimes good to just go back, recapture that first love. It's just like couples, right? It's sometimes good for couples to look at their wedding photos all over again, or rerun your wedding videos and relieve the good old days. It helps us to remember the passion that we once shared. In the same way, I want you to know that you can recapture your first love by going for for Jesus, by going back to the Bible. Do you realize, brothers and sisters, that this is God's love letter to us? This is His love letter to you. And you read it to remember what He did for us all through time and eternity. And then you recall the times when we were so in love with Jesus. Remember when we first come to the Lord, we never miss a prayer meeting because, because we want to be there. We want to be in His presence. Today, we never miss the 7 p.m. news. You know, we, remember we get together. And when we first come to the Lord, when we come together, we yak about God. We talk about Him. We talk about ministry. Today, we get together. We talk about golf and the share market and the property market. You know, we used to spend time reading the Bible. Now you prefer to spend time reading the newspapers. You know, worship used to bring tears to the eyes but today we can be spiritually inoculated we just go through the motion but I pray that the Lord will help us to remember and could it be that if we have forsaken our first love then Jesus said remember the heights from which you have fallen go back and allow God to remind you again what it was like at the beginning and if you remember if you recall the second thing we do we can repent and then when you see that disconnect, when you see the, the, the how far we have we have come from where we once were, this is the time to return, to, to repent, okay? To repent. To repent means to have a change in mind that results in a change in action. This literally means to turn 180 degrees. So I'm going this direction. In repentance, I turn 180 degrees, and I go in the opposite direction. Please don't turn the 360 degrees because it'll take you right back. <laughs> you turn 180 degrees, degrees, and you walk in the opposite direction. It means to return to the beginning, okay? And in verse 4, it says, you have forsaken your first love. Here's, Here's the thing. Notice, it did not say you have lost your first love, because if something is lost, then you don't know where to find it, but it says you have forsaken or you have left your first love, which means what? If you have left something, you can return to it. Okay, and the Lord challenged them. You have forsaken your first love, but now repent, okay, repent, turn around. Okay, and this is a, if not, what will happen? If not, he said, I will come to you and remove your lampstand. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. This is a serious warning. Jesus is literally saying, I will come and I will blow out your light. I will remove your lampstand. Or if you like, I will close you down. And ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, don't test the Lord. But if you have forsaken, if we have forsaken our first love, first thing we do, remember. Second thing we do, repent. And then what do you do next? Return. See, look at verse five again. Repent and do the things you did at first. And then you go back to what it used to be. You know, I think it's something like that. We... We know that Jesus is central to everything. And when Jesus is truly central in our life, then I think we are placing him in the right place. But over time, if we begin to forsake our first love, after a while, Jesus is no longer central, but he gets slowly sidetracked and you may find that now he's somewhere outside. And what we need to do and what the Lord is challenging us to do today, it is time to restore him to the center of our life. Put Jesus back in the center of your life. Put him back to where he rightfully Belong, And this morning, I'm challenging you to bring Jesus back to the center of your life. Let's rekindle our fire for the Word of God. Read this love letter. And I want to challenge you, brothers and sisters, don't just read it regimentally. But why don't we read it, uh, why don't we read it devotionally? What do I mean by that? When you read the Bible devotionally, it means you actually believe that as I'm reading the Word, I, Jesus is talking to me, see, and then when I pray, I am talking back to Him. Okay, and He speaks to me through His Word, and then I speak back to Him in prayer. So take, for example, if, if you have not been really taking time to read the Bible devotionally, I challenge you to start with the book of Psalms. It's the easiest way to start, okay? Let's take, for example, you take Psalms 23. If I'm reading devotionally, I'm not trying to study it. I'm allowing it to speak to me personally. So how would I read devotionally? It would be something like this. If I take Psalms 23, say I'm reading Psalms 23. I say, I'll read it slowly. The Lord is my shepherd. And then I will stop and then i say, wow, Lord, thank you that you are truly my shepherd. You watch over me. I'm so grateful for this. And then he goes on to say, you know, I, and I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Lord, thank you so much that every time you remind me that you are my shepherd and because you are my shepherd, I lack nothing. And you are the good shepherd that will watch over me. But Lord, you know, sometimes I feel that there's so many things I still lack. You know, I wish I can have this, I wish I can have that, but I'm so thankful that today you remind me that my sufficiency is in you. Thank you that you make me lie down in green pasture. So what am I doing? I'm actually allowing God to speak to me and I'm talking back to him. And it becomes a relationship. So it's a relationship. It's no longer just trying to analyze the word, but I'm letting it speak to me devotionally. So I'm challenging you, brothers and sisters, restore Jesus back to, to centrality and allow him to be the first love of your life. Come back to the word of God, really devotionally, not just regimentally. Come back to prayer, come back to worship. So out of a heart of gratitude and gratefulness, we worship the Lord. You know, I can't wait for us. I know that in this lockdown season, God brings us back to worship Him in private. And that's great. But I can't wait also for us to come back, so back to the church and to have a thousand people lifting our hands, worshiping God, and to see people have tears flowing down their faces because they know God is just in with them. And I think I'm, I, I can't wait for that to happen. You know, And I, I, let's rekindle that fire for word of God, for prayer, for worship, for intimacy with Jesus, and to know that I'm walking with Him as my friend and my companion. And I'm challenging you, brothers and sisters, return and, re- and do the things you did at first. Do it again, do it again, do it again. So here are three steps we need to come back to that first love. Remember, recall, repent, and then we return And do it again. I believe that this is a prophetic warning to the end time church. And we don't test the Lord, or He can come and remove our lampstand. So let me end with this. What happened to the church in Ephesus after this letter was given to them? History actually tells us that shortly after the church received this letter, they did did repent. The church in Ephesus did repent and they came back to the Lord in the second century. In fact, the Apostle John later ended up, you know, being, after, when he was released from Patmos, legend tells, uh, history tells us he went back to the church in Ephesus. And the second, in the second century, they came back to the Lord. But unfortunately, in the third century, the church in Ephesus again left their first love. And I want you to know that this time, Jesus carried out his warning. He came and removed the lampstand. Today, Ephesus is just a little tourist town. In a, in Turkey, and the church in Ephesus is no longer there. My friends, what about FCC today? We must not allow any gradual erosion of our love for God to take place. We must not allow this to happen. But let our hearts be continually grateful for what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We want to live in the atmosphere of gratitude so that we will always be in love with our Savior. And his promise to us is this, that if you overcome, we can look forward to eat of the tree of life. I want you to know that Jesus is our tree of life. And we all look expectantly, therefore, to life eternal, where we will live and never die. And it will spring out of that love relationship with Jesus Christ. But I remind you of what Jesus said to the Pharisees who were religiously doing all that their faith requires of them like praying and studying the Scriptures. But they didn't do it out of a relationship of love with God, but out of regimen, out of rules and regulation. And so Jesus said to the Pharisees in John 5, verse 39 and 40, listen to what he says here. You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me but yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Brothers and sisters of FCC, I'm so grateful that our church has a high degree of volunteerism. Just the number of volunteer staff we have in the church is make me feel so grateful. But many are faithfully serving and attending connect groups, etc. And I'm thankful for that. And I commend you for that. But I want to encourage you to continue what you are doing but we must do it out of the right source and for the right reason. We serve because Jesus first came to serve us. We love because we are so grateful um, because we are first loved by God. And we serve, we do, it's because you know we are so grateful for what He has done for us. We love because He first loved us. And I want to challenge you as a church, let us all together, Make a commitment this morning to come back, to return to our first love. Let him who have a year hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And this morning, wherever you are, in your living rooms, in your halls, everywhere, I want you to put aside your notes in your Bible now because I want to close this service by singing a song that I grew up with And I want to let this song minister to you. Some of you may know this song, some of you may not. But if you don't know this song, it's fine. You know, wherever you are, would you just lift your hearts to the Lord, lift your hands to God, close your eyes, and allow the words of this song to minister to you. It's a song about Jesus, because that's what it's all about, returning to His first love. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. And we allow the name of Jesus just to minister to our hearts. And then wherever you are, wherever you may be in your walk with God, would you, just within your heart, within your spirit, restore Jesus back to the center? And then you say, God, I'm coming back to you. I'm coming back to my first love. I repent if there's this huge disconnect between my heart and my hands. But this morning... I remember what it was like at the beginning. How much you mean to me. So thankful for all that you did for me. I'm so undeserving, but yet you choose to die for me and you rescued me and took me to where I am today. And then as I minister this song to you, would you just let see Jesus, picture yourself coming back to his bosom and allowing him to love you and for you to love Him. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Let's sing this together, shall we?